As for our time in the Word this morning, we will be finishing off Matthew chapter 26. And uh, uh, the Gospel of Matthew is, is building towards its ultimate climax uh, of the crucifixion of Christ, which we will read of in chapter 27. Uh, and then chapter 28 will be highlighted by His resurrection. And then our Lord's final commission to His disciples uh, before He would ascend uh, into heaven. And so these are exciting times in the gospel narrative. Uh, but before we get to those chapters, we need to wrap up our study of chapter 26. And so today we're going to be looking at the final seven verses uh, of the chapter. Uh, but we'll also be doing a little bit of review of the chapter uh, as well as we focus in on Peter's actions throughout the chapter. We're going to really focus in on Peter uh, this morning. Uh, last week we looked at Jesus' uh, illegal trials. Uh, that he went through at the homes of Annas and Caiaphas. And today we're going to see Peter go through a trial of his own. Okay? Uh, a trial that will lead Peter into great temptation and will cause Peter much grief uh, and anguish. And so uh, it, it should be a, a good time, uh, and hopefully an encouraging time, something we can learn from this morning. Will you please stand as we uh, read God's Word this morning just to honor Him? Uh, again, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75, in a message I've entitled, Peter's Temptation. Uh, okay, hopefully everyone is there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, a lot of the chairs underneath have them. If you want to reach down and, and grab one and follow along, uh, please do so. Okay? Alright, Matthew continues his narrative in verse 69, and he says... Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And verse 75 says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the blessing that it is to gather together as a church body, as brothers and sisters uh, in you. And Lord, just to spend time in your presence, to spend time uh, uh, lifting up your name and magnifying you with our, our songs and our praise. And, and Father, at this time, we want to seek your face and we want to seek your heart uh, through your word. And uh, we ask that you would lead and guide our time. Father, I pray that everyone here comes with an expectation and an anticipation that you are going to speak to us through your word this morning. And so, Lord, we look forward to what you have for us. Lord, may your blessings be upon the children's ministry and the nursery and all the different things that are going on, maybe behind the scenes. Uh, the just the technical things with the projector, pray that all just works out well. Father, we also pray for all the other churches and, and chapels that are meeting this morning in Iwakuni that are... Uh, teaching your word and proclaiming the love of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray you do a wonderful work amongst them as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
You may have a seat. All right. Well, recall that if you were with us last week uh, when Jesus was led away from the Garden of Gethsemane, we were told that Peter followed the Lord from a distance. And and as he did so, he came upon uh, the courtyard of the high priest. and, And actually, he was left on the outside of the courtyard, not being granted access to the private property of the high priest. Uh, And it was actually John's gospel that highlighted for us an unnamed disciple that was asked to, uh, or that was able to talk to the gatekeeper there at the high priest's house. And he was able to get access for Peter to enter in. Last week, we also read how Peter went into the courtyard and he sat with the servants of the high priest. But then Matthew, he really turned his focus uh, upon the details surrounding the trial of Jesus at Caiaphas' house. Okay? How the religious leaders sought false testimony against the Lord and they wanted him to answer the accusations that were being brought up against him. But our Lord remained silent. How Caiaphas, he put Jesus under oath, demanding him to say whether or not he was the Christ, the Son of God. And you recall uh, to which Jesus, he affirmed Caiaphas' saying and indicated that not only was he the Son of God, but that he was the Son of Man and that he was going to uh, ascend to the Father to be at his right hand and that he would even one day return on the clouds of heaven. And at that time, it was Caiaphas, he, he tore his clothes in lament and he accused Jesus of blasphemy. And, and they all erroneously agreed that Jesus was deserving of death. Okay? And they all began to, to spit upon the Lord and, and beat Him and, and really make a, a mockery of Him, blindfolding Him and and uh, striking him, saying, prophesy, uh, who, who struck you? And, and, and that's kind of where we were left off. And, and as Matthew detailed the false trial of our Lord, we kind of left Peter on the outside. It's kind of like, oh, here's Peter and he's here, and then we kind of just shift gears. And so we're going to shift back to Peter this morning. Okay? And we're going to see what Peter was doing during this trial, during this happenings. Uh, and so draw your attention back to verse 69 and 70. It says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. Matthew here, as I mentioned, he draws Peter back into view here, and he details for us, Uh, the first of his three denials. Verse 69 tells us that Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard while the questioning and beating of Jesus was taking place. In fact, if you recall, Peter was sitting with the high priest's servants uh, according to verse 58, if you look back a a few verses there in Matthew 26. Uh, But not only was he sitting with them, Okay, according to Mark's gospel, Peter was warming himself by a fire with the servants of the high priest. John's gospel tells us that it was a cold night and, and evidently Peter didn't want to have to be discomforted by the weather. And so he sought a place around the fire with the servants of the high priest. And, and I bring this up because of the stark contrast between what Jesus is experiencing and what Peter is dealing with. 
You see, they're both going to enter into trials, and one of them's going to be uh, successful, and one of them's not going to be successful. And you would think if you were to stack the odds and say, this is what they're experiencing, you might say, well, I think this is the one that's going to fail, but you would be wrong. Because if you think about it, Jesus, he is being questioned by the religious leaders that have been plotting and seeking opportunity to kill him. He's being falsely accused of blasphemy, and he's being spit upon, slapped, blindfolded, and punched. He's being made a mockery of, as they say to him, prophesy to us Christ. Who is the one who struck you? And then we look at Peter and his trial. And Peter, while his master's enduring all of this, he's hanging out with the servants of the very man that is responsible for overseeing Jesus' treatment, hanging out with them and warming himself by the comfort of their fire because it was a little cold that night. And, and to me, it's a stark contrast. This is the same man that just a few hours ago, if that, okay, we have to keep this in mind, we've been studying it for the last couple months almost, uh, but keep in mind, you know, since the Lord's Supper, this is all on the same night, a 12-hour time span that all these things that we've been studying in Matthew 26 have been taking place here. And so it was just a few hours ago that he wielded a sword and he was set to take on the entire detachment of troops that dared to even lay hands on his Lord. Oh, how things have changed. What happened? This man at one time was ready to take on seemingly the whole world for the Lord. But now he's content to hang out with the associates of the enemy and find comfort in what they have to offer. Have you ever known someone like that before? Someone that was all set to take on this world for the Lord, but, but eventually uh, found themselves finding comfort in the things that this world has to offer? The fight's uh, been taken out of them, and, and they're content just to kind of lay low? and avoid any sort of challenge to their faith? You know, I think a better question might be, is, are, are you that someone? Perhaps when you got saved, you were all excited about the Lord. You were, you were soaking all up the God's Word. You just couldn't get enough of it. You were out evangelizing. You were out sharing your faith with people. You were just excited. You were ready to take on the world for the Lord. And, and then something happened. And I don't know what, but something happened. And now, well, maybe you're just content to find comfort by the fire of the high priest's servants. You've lost that fire for the Lord. And now you're content to replace it with what the world has to offer. If that describes you, then, then you need to repent. You need to return to the Lord. You need to seek forgiveness. You need to ask Him to rekindle that fire that once burned inside of you. You don't want to be all excited. I'm ready to take on the world for you, Lord. And, and then a few hours later, be like, well, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. Well, he's going to even do some things that are really bad. Okay? We don't want to be in that place. Okay? Seeking uh, warmth and comfort from the world will lead you to do and say things that you will regret, just like it does Peter. As Peter was warming himself by the fire, a servant girl then approached Peter and stated, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. Luke's gospel actually explains how this girl was watching Peter as he sat by the fire. It says that she was looking intently at him. 
in Luke chapter 22, verse 56. And I found that interesting, uh, and I looked up that, that word intently, that same Greek word translated uh, as intently in Luke's Gospels is used other places and is used to describe having your eyes fixed upon something or, or to steadfastly look at something or to earnestly, earnestly look upon something. Okay? It wasn't just you know she you know a glance and oh there's a guy over there she was focusing in on Peter this woman was watching Peter closely as he sat there by the fire you know the same is true for us as Christians there are people out there that that have their eyes fixed upon you and, and people that are are watching you to see what you do. Okay? Some for the good and, and, and some for the bad, actually. Some are looking at you and they're thinking, I think that guy's got all the answers and I really need help and I'm watching him intently because it seems like this guy's never, never phased. He's a rock. He's got something I want. There's, that's a good thing. But then there's other people that are looking at you waiting for you to stumble, waiting for you to fall so that they could be like, call yourself a Christian. There are people that are watching you. And so, with that in mind, I, I, I think it's important to ask, what kind of example are you letting the world look upon? If people were to look upon you steadfastly, like this girl's looking upon Peter, you know, fixing their eyes upon you, if the world were to do that, if people were to look upon you and watch you throughout the day, what would they see? What would they see... It, would what they see, would what they see lead them to the same conclusion that this woman came to? None of the Gospels give to us any sort of indication as to why she had her gaze set upon him. All we know is that she, she must have saw something. She saw something in Peter, maybe from a memory, maybe she saw him previously, I, we don't know. But she saw something in Peter that made her connect him to Jesus. Because her response to Peter is, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. You know, if people were to look at your life, would they come to the same conclusion? Would they associate the things they saw with someone that had been with Jesus? It's interesting to me that the wording here in the Greek, uh, when the servant girl says, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, that word with, uh, it didn't just mean that Peter happened to be in the same place with Jesus at the same time, and she, oh, I thought I saw you both at the you know, market the other day, or something like that. It's not that kind of word. Uh, there's actually a different Greek word that's used for that kind of with. Uh, this with, uh, it, it actually... Um, speaks of uh, an accompanying him, the idea that, of companionship and fellowship. And so basically what she is saying, she was saying that Peter was a companion of Jesus, that they fellowshiped together, that they were uh, friends, that they you know, uh, were more than just you know, happened to be at the same place at the same time. Okay? And Peter responds to the servant girl denying it to her and to all the rest of the people he was sitting around. Okay, all of his pals from around the fire that he had cozied up to, he denied it before them all, verse 70 says. Peter, who previously said he would die with the Lord, okay, he said, I'll die with you. 
He said, I'll die with the Lord before ever denying him. He crumbles at the slightest accusation from really a a powerless servant girl. And and not only does he deny the statement about being with Jesus, being a, a companion of the Lord, he tells the girl, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I kind of picture it in, in, in my eye in his, his first denial. Peter's, Peter's just playing dumb. Jesus? Jesus of, of Galilee? I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, just kind of nonchalant. I'm not going to, you know, raise it. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay? And, and this, of course, is a lie. But it's only the beginning. Okay, It's going to get a lot worse. Let's continue. Verse 71 and 72. It says, And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Peter, uh, obviously not feeling so cozy anymore by the fire, uh, he begins to head back toward the entrance of the courtyard. And in moving from the center of the courtyard, where the fire would be, back towards the entrance, Peter is moving away from the comfort of the fire, which we would say, that's a good move, Peter, good job. But he's also moving further away from the Lord. Getting away from the fire, that, that was a good idea for Peter, but getting further away from the Lord is a dangerous place to go. That's going to lead to more difficulties for Peter. As he went out to the gateway, yet another girl saw him. And instead of addressing Peter herself, she tells those that are around her that Peter was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, that same phrase that was used before, that was the word with. Okay? A companion of Jesus. One who shared in fellowship with Jesus. She accused Peter of being with him in the same manner as this first servant girl did. But this time, Peter doesn't play dumb. He starts to raise the intensity of his denial by adding an oath to it. An oath was a binding statement, often made in God's name. And we can't say for sure what sort of oath Peter made, for it's not given to us. But we do know that it was something that he shouldn't have been doing. That it was... Jesus uh, before had taught uh, on the uh, on the portion on oaths and, and what to do about oaths, uh, and he said in Matthew chapter five, verses thirty three through thirty seven, he gave specific instructions about the use of oaths. I'm going to read Matthew five thirty three through thirty seven to you. This again, this is Jesus's words, and he says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Peter knew better than to use oaths. It was wrong, no matter what he swore by, whether he said, I I, I swear to this, or I swear by that, or whatever. I promise to this, or whatever it was. It was wrong. Uh, He lied, which was wrong, but now he's adding on to that. These oaths. 
Jesus said that anything other than yes and no is from the evil one. Okay? The wording in Peter's response is it's actually even more concerning as well. When Peter said, I do not know the man, the Greek word used for man is used in the New Testament New Testament to make the distinction between sinful man whose nature is opposed to God and another Greek word that's used simply to refer to a male or a husband. There's two different words that you could use. He wasn't wasn't saying, uh, I don't know the man uh, like that guy over there. He was, Peter's denial was, I don't know the man, the man who's distinctly different from God. That's the word that he used. Okay. There's a word that you would use to describe man in connection to God and how they're totally different. And then there's one where you could just say the male over there. And he used man, the guy distinctly different from God, in his denial. I do not know the man. Okay. I find this worth noting because of the line of questioning that Jesus just went through regarding whether he was the Son of God. Jesus said, yes, it is as you said to Caiaphas when asked if he was the Christ, the Son of God. But Peter in his response, says, no. He's just a man, and I don't know him. And to me, amongst many things, but the shocking part of this statement is that it was Peter who, inspired by the Father, so boldly and triumphantly declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. What happened, Peter? Here, in in front of yet another powerless servant girl, Peter says, with an oath, I don't know that man over there. That's not God. Verse 73 and 74 says, And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Matthew says that Peter was approached yet again uh, a little later. Uh, more precisely, Luke tells us that it was about an hour later. Okay, and about an hour later, after the second denial, he gets approached. Peter's approached a third time, and this time it's a group. Okay, and, and this group has confidence okay, uh, that he was, uh, one of, uh, was with Jesus because of his speech. Okay, excuse me. The group that he was with identified him as being one of them because of his speech. Okay? And, and now when they reference his speech, it didn't have anything to do with what actually Peter was saying, but moreover how he was saying it. Okay? For it was widely known that those from Galilee had somewhat of an accent. Okay? Evidently Galileans had a dialect and a pronunciation that differed from that of the other Jews. And so you could easily tell someone from Galilee. Okay? You know, does your speech give you away as to where you are from? Okay. I know that I, I, Kayla, Kayla over there, she's got the North Dakota, you don't you know, kind of a thing over there in, in, in Austin from Minnesota. I, I hear he can pull, turn it on pretty good too. Um, but, and then Jess, she's got the Southern y'all and fixing and all this kind of stuff. But we're not talking about... I'm not talking about... He, they were talking about an accent, but my question to you is not about your accent. I'm talking about how our words sound 
Okay? What I'm, not what I, our words sound about, but what I'm talking about is the words that we use. The words that we use, the words we, we use, they say a lot about us. Do our words identify where we are from? Not accent, not from the south or from you know, the midwest or from the east coast or from Jersey or whatever, but do they, they say where we're coming from in life? Peter's words suggested that he had been with Jesus. And I asked the question, what about our words? And do they do the same? Do they suggest that we've been with Jesus? Let me tell you, they should. The Bible has quite a few things to say about our speech as Christians. Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And later on in that same letter, he would say that our speech should always be with grace and seasoned with salt. And in his letter to Ephesians, he commanded, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. As Christians, our speech ought to be encouraging. It ought to be edifying. It ought to be full of grace. You know, but unfortunately, I fear that's not always the case. Sometimes our speech is more characterized by what James had to say about, what our, uh, uh, about our tongue and the words that we use. He said, with it, with our tongue, he said, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. And then later on he says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And he comes to the conclusion, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. The words that we use are important. In fact, according to Jesus, the words that we use are simply evidence of what is in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And He also said a few verses later that we would all give an account in the day of judgment for all the idle words that we've spoken. Our words are important. Our speech is important. It ought to say, this guy knows Jesus. Our speech ought to say, that gal, she's been with the Lord. May our speech identify us with Christ. When we speak, when we talk, when we're at work, okay, when we're at home, the words that we use, they would be words that would be identifiable with Christ. Despite what was obvious to the entire group around Peter, Peter a third time denied the Lord. And again, Peter raises the intensity as this time he starts cursing and swearing and then he asserts once again, I don't know the man. Same word, man. The not God man over there. Peter started using some speech that was sure to separate him from any association with Jesus Christ. And you know what? We do the same thing when we allow certain language to come out from our lips. 
We suggest to others that we don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ by the words that we use and the words that we allow out of our mouths. Peter started cursing and swearing to show his disdain for the accusations and to give them an earful of language that he hoped would make them believe what he was saying to be true. In his first denial, Peter just, he kind of played dumb, right? Uh, Like he had no idea what was going on. In his second denial, he started using oaths to try and persuade the thoughts of others around him. And in his third denial here, he adds cursing and even more oaths. Each denial got worse and worse. And with each denial, we see him moving and increasing the distance between himself and the Lord, going further and further away from the Lord. What a slippery slope Peter has found himself upon. No sooner did his profanity end that something dreadful happened that I'm sure had to hit Peter like an arrow into his heart. At the end of verse 74 says, Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. As soon as Peter had denied knowing the Lord for the third time, the rooster crowed just as the Lord had prophesied earlier in the night. Jesus had said to Peter, Assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Matthew 26, verse 34. Just look on the next page to your left. You'll see it there. You know, but something else happened. Something else happened in that moment when Peter denied the Lord for the third time. Matthew doesn't tell us about it. Only Luke does. In in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, we're told that when Peter denied the Lord and the rooster crowed that the Lord churned and he looked at Peter and they caught eyes with each other. And in the midst of the crowd of people and the poor lighting of the night, somehow, some way, the eyes of the Lord were able to part through everything around and meet with the eyes of Peter. As soon as he finished seeing that, that, that third denial and the rooster crowed, they fixed eyes upon one another. It was in that moment when the rooster crowed and the Lord churned and looked at him that Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how Jesus had declared that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And I wonder what that look from the Lord looked like. You know, I don't think it was a see I told you so kind of look. I think it was a a look of sorrow. Um, I think it was a, a look of regret of one of love, a look that penetrated into the very heart of Peter. And, you know, and I also wonder what the look on Peter's face was like. When the reality of his sin, his complete denial of the Lord, fell upon him like a ton of bricks, his heart was crushed. For after that look from the Lord and remembering what the Lord had said, we're told that Peter went out and wept bitterly. This wasn't just the shedding of a few tears. Okay? If you look up the word here, and did a little word study here, uh, it it's, um, includes every external expression of grief, weeping, wailing, great lament. 
Okay, it wasn't just like, oh, and then he kind of walks off. He was broken. He was stricken with sorrow, was no longer able to endure being in the Lord's presence, and he departed from the courtyard. As we look at this, I, I ask myself, what happened? What happened to Peter? Peter, he failed big time. Okay? He was so confident earlier that he would never stumble, that he would die before ever denying the Lord. Yet here he is bitterly weeping, having denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Each time, increasing the intensity. Okay, Not just lying, but I'm going to add oaths to it. I'm going to start cursing and swearing as well. What happened? Peter. As I was thinking of that, I found myself just looking back through the chapter and that night's events. What led to Peter's denial? What led to Peter's failure? And and I'd like to go back and make some observations from our study of Matthew 26 to help highlight some of the things that led Peter to the place that he's he's in right now. Not because we want to beat Peter up, okay? But in hopes that we can learn from his mistakes and, and, and not find ourselves making the same mistakes and finding ourselves, excuse me, ourselves in the similar place. We don't want to be where Peter's at right now. None of us ever want to be in that place. And so I want to look at these things and learn from them. And we want to point out some things, and maybe there are things that are a little bit close to home. Maybe they're not. Maybe you're good. But if they are, let it be as a warning to you. Let it be as a reminder, okay, this, this is, I'm not heading in the right direction. I don't want to end up in the path that Peter went in. First off, back in verse 33 of Matthew 26, we see that Peter didn't believe the word of the Lord. Verse 33, it says, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Peter basically told Jesus, His word was inaccurate. Jesus had told Peter, along with all the other disciples, he hadn't at that time singled out Peter. He had told all the disciples uh, that they would all be made to stumble because of him. But Peter didn't believe him. He didn't believe the Lord's word. And, And you know, when we start to doubt the accuracy of the word of God... When we start to discredit the Word and we begin to diminish the Word of God, we will start moving towards the place of failure. When we start to minimize the Word of God and begin to think that it doesn't apply to us, we're headed for trouble. When we can look at a portion of Scripture and say, well, that was kind of back then and it doesn't apply and we can kind of do this now and it's all right, you're headed for trouble. Second, again in verse 33, but also in verse 35, I see that Peter had too much pride and confidence in his flesh. Verse 33 I just read, but look at verse 35. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then so said all the disciples. He boasted about how he was so much better than the other disciples. How it was possible, it was possible for all the other disciples to, to deny the Lord, but not, not me. Okay. 
not me. They could all stumble, but not me. He would die with the Lord, sacrifice his very life before ever denying the Lord. Pride, confidence in the flesh will lead us into falls and destruction. You can be sure of that. Proverbs rightly declares that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't think sin is beyond you. Don't think that you're incapable of falling. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it exhorts us, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't let pride and confidence in the flesh lead you to a great fall. We can think, ah, you know, I don't have any problems in this area and in this area. I'm good. You know, I don't have a struggle in that area. You better be careful. When you start to let down the guard and think I got this thing taken care of, I think they got this thing handled, that's when the enemy's going to attack. Next, we see that Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. Verses 40 and 41 depict this truth to us. I'll read them. Verse 40. Jesus, he, he came to the disciples, and he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter did enter into temptation. Instead of exercising spiritual spiritual discipline, Peter gave in to the flesh. Peter was asked to watch and pray by the Lord. A few verses before that, the Lord said, watch and pray. Watch here with me. But instead, Peter nodded off and and he caught some Z's. And and in doing so, Peter showed a lack of spiritual discipline. You know, I know many of you guys know about discipline. You discipline your body and you get it ready for the rigors of what a military life may bring from training to deployments to sleepless nights on watch. You've disciplined yourself to be able to handle whatever comes your way. We need to do the same spiritually. Discipline your spirit. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Be in fellowship. Do so regularly to prepare yourself for everything that the Lord has for you. When we lack spiritual discipline and start giving in to the flesh, when we're sleeping, when we ought to be praying, we are headed for a rude awakening. Fourth thing that I saw in this Peter, what led to this, is found in verse 51. In verse 51, we see Peter rushing ahead of the Lord and trusting in his sword to bring about victory and save the day. Uh, Verse 51, it says, And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. We looked at that. We realized, uh, we looked at John's account and told us, I think it was John's account, uh, that it was Peter was that man. Peter was the one that, that whipped out the sword and he was hacking away and he cut off Malchus's ear, part of his ear. Okay? Instead of, uh, uh, well, Peter, he was attempting to use worldly means to fight a spiritual battle. Okay? Peter was using the wrong kind of weapons. 
2 Corinthians tells us that the, the weapons of our war, warfare, they're not carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, I'll read it to you. It states, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, the scriptures are clear regarding the spiritual battle that rages on all around us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6 then goes on to describe for us the whole armor of God. And how we're, we are to use these spiritual weapons that Corinthians describes as mighty in God to bring about the victory in our life. How do we avoid doing what Peter did in today's life? We need to make sure that we're using the spiritual armor of God to fight these battles. We can't try and use carnal things to solve spiritual problems. Throwing money at spiritual problems isn't going to have any effect. Simply talking on the phone with your mom or your best friend about your problems isn't going to win the battle. Unless your mom and your best friend are prayer warriors, then you've got a fighting chance. Okay? We can't simply try and, and be the pacifist. What I mean by that is, and I think sometimes we just think, oh, I'm going to be the pacifist in this spiritual battle. Okay? And we think that simply ignoring our spiritual problems or avoiding them will just take care of themselves. They'll just go away. That's not going to happen. We need to be engaged in the spiritual battle with the proper spiritual tools. He was using a sword. Jesus said, put your sword away. Don't you know I could call down 12 legions of angels right now? Some 70,000 plus angels come down here and and take care of me? You've got the wrong thing. You should have been wielding the, the, the prayer weapon. Earlier. Not the sword. In verse 58, I see another thing. We see Peter following the Lord from a distance. We mentioned that at the opening of our portion of Scripture. Verse 58 says, But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter didn't want to get too close. He didn't want to take the risk of being associated with the Lord or linked to the Lord. And what ends up happening to Peter? As we go through the night, we see him get further and further and further away from the Lord. That is what will happen to all of us as well. When we start following the Lord from a distance, the distance only grows. Before you know it, you're miles away from where you once thought you would never be. Okay? Or you, you're just at the Lord's absent in your life. You know, John Corson, a, a favorite Bible teacher of mine, he talks about the danger of drifting. 
Okay? Drifting further and further away from the Lord. And he t- uses the imagery of a sailboat drifting at sea. And he said that as we sail along spiritually, the danger is not that a bomb will sink us, but that we will slowly drift away. And, and I get that. That makes sense to me. Oftentimes, it's not an all-of-a-sudden event or attack that gets us away from the Lord, but it's, but it's subtle compromises. It's following the Lord from a distance that leads us to a place where we never imagined we'd be. And we need to be careful. Okay? We need to be careful in not allowing distance to grow between us and the Lord. Okay? The sixth thing that I noticed here, and it was from today's portion of Scripture. In verse 69, we noted how Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and we noted who he was with. Peter was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Peter was hanging out with the servants of the man that was in charge of beating and mocking his Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it reads, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The people that Peter were hanging out with were not edifying. They were not encouraging him in his walk with the Lord. If anything, we would say that they were trying to find fault with his relationship with the Lord. And the pressure of being around those people led Peter into each of his three denials. We need to be careful who we hang out with. We need to be careful of, uh, of who we allow ourselves to be influenced by. These servants of the high priest they obviously had a negative impact upon Peter. And the same is true today of certain people in our life that we've allowed into our inner circles and our close friends. And, and, and you know what? Those relationships, they're not edifying. And they're not encouraging. Now, I'm not saying you can't have friends in the Lord. We want to be uh, sharing the love of Christ with them. But we have to make sure that they, they're influence. It's the influence. It's not being with them necessarily. It's the influence that we give them over us. He was there. And he allowed the fear of that group to influence his denial. We need to be careful of the company that we keep, those who we hang out with, those who we allow to influence us in our lives. Also from verse 69, we alluded to how Jesus sought and found comfort from the fire of the high priest's servants. And I believe that this was a case of Peter finding comfort in the things of this world. And and it's simple. Whenever we start to seek the comforts of this world over the Lord, we're obviously headed in the wrong direction. That's a no-brainer. When we choose comforts of the world over the Lord, you're going in the wrong direction. That's an easy one. Lastly, last one I want to point out here, very plainly, what did he do? He denied. Denying the Lord led Peter to where he's at right now. Three times Peter denied the Lord. Each denial was filled with lies and attempts to fit in with the crowd and distanced himself from the Lord. And and there are many ways that we can deny our Lord in our life. And I can try and list out a whole bunch of different ways, but I thought it was fitting just to look back at what we taught today, what we highlighted. Our words. With our words, we can deny the Lord. And our actions... In our actions, we can deny the Lord. What do our words say about us? What do our actions say about us? Do they say, 
that person knows the Lord? That person's been with the Lord? Or do they say, that guy doesn't know Jesus? That girl over there, I'm sure she's never been to church before. What do our words, what do our actions say? Do they say that we deny the Lord? I hope and I pray that our words, our actions, they are glorifying to the Lord. Okay? Rather than acting as means of denying the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, it's maybe not the funnest uh, uh, portion of scripture to read about Peter's, you know, just making some bad mistakes. Lord, but... Uh, I'm sure most everyone here knows the end of the story, Lord. Um, you're still going to use him. You're still going to re- restore him. You're still going to uh, do great and mighty things in and through them. And so, Father, I, I pray that if any of us here, Lord, that if we look at this and we're looking at some of these things, we kind of say, maybe that's a little bit of me, Lord, that we would we would take that as a, as a warning, that we need to get right with you, that we need to be draw close to you, that we need to uh, make some changes and ask for you to help us with those changes. And Lord, that we would also be comforted knowing that it's not too late. We haven't blown it so much as to where, you know, uh, we're unusable anymore or, or we've gone so far that we're outside the reach of your love. Lord, we know that's not true. Lord, we know that uh, you can restore us just as you restored Peter and so, Father, I pray that if your heart uh, was speaking to our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would respond, uh, that we would in tune our hearts and our lives with you and what you have for us. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Peter that you've left for us, that we might learn from him. And so, Father, I pray that we would do that. Learn from his mistakes, that we might not have to learn from them from firsthand. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.